Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hello, my name is Blake Butler. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, My new book, There Is No Year, came out last week, and I'm going to read uh, two sections from the first part of the book. It's a book in four parts, so this is kind of an introduction. Uh, The first part is called Copy Family. When the family came to live inside the new house, they'd found another family already there, an exact copy of their family, a copy father, mother, and son. The copy family members stood each in a room alone, unblinking. The copy family would not speak when spoken into, though they had heartbeats, they were breathing. Their copy eyes were wet and stretched with strain. Their copy skin felt like our skin. Their copy hearts beat at their chests. The father flicked the copy father on the arm there by the window in the kitchen, the window where, on so many coming days, the father would look out onto the yard, the yard where once the copy family had surely moved and laughed and dug and thought and fought and seen the sky change color. The father watched the copy father flinch. The copy father's big ring finger had 13 copy rings on it. In the copy father's copy eyes, the father could read his other's current scrolling copy thoughts. This is my house. This is our house. This is where I am. What else could they have done? The family took the copy family and they set them on the back porch. The father carried the copy father, and the mother the copy mother, and the son his. The skins of the two families smushed together, grunting. Their sweat became commingled. The copy family members did not wink or speak or cause commotion. They did not jostle in their stance. The only thing that made the family different from the copy family was instead of teeth, The copy family's mouths were lined with mold. As well, the copy son appeared exhausted, sticky. He had dark meat around his eyes. The copy family's breath came out cold and made no sound. The son wanted to play dress-up with his copy body, but the father smacked the son across the head. The father hated when his son played girl games. The father bought the son a new neon football for Christmas and his birthday every year. The father also bought the son a football on the father's birthday, a form of begging. Sometimes he found he could convince the son to come out into the yard, though no matter how soft the father threw the ball or how close they stood together, the son could never catch, even right there, even touching. The son's hands and fingers always itched. Sometimes the itching spread into his knee. Sometimes the only thing about the son at all was all the itching. The son was older than he looked. Pretend 
to not be there. In the new house, rung with coarse light, the father locked the doors and sealed the eaves. He had the family play, pretend to not be there. They waited to see if the copy family would simply disappear or go away. They waited several hours peeping. Later they hooted and shook their arms, made fire. The copy family would not retort. The mother found the copy family's TV dinners in the freezer, and off the floor the family ate. Defrosted veggie medley, veal cordon bleu. There was even a little cheesecake wrapped in black plastic. The family felt run through. They felt their bodies rumble, squealing. The copy family outside in the night. The father, mother, and son each with one wall between them and their copies, eating. The father sent the son to bed. He and the mother went with the son into the certain room. They'd let the son himself select. He could have had many other rooms. The bed was deep and clean and padded. The parents took turns kissing the son on the brow, the wrists, the thumbs, the mouth, the teeth, the back, the stomach. The son went right to sleep. Just after, in the hallway, the father touched his hand against his lips, feeling for the cells that had come off in transference, what parts of himself he'd left upon the son. The copy mother in particular. The father and the mother stayed up well into the evening watching the copy family stand. The father and the mother agreed they had to do something. Something what? They could not go on like this, even a little. The copy family had not moved an inch. They could call police, but what would happen? Light from the backyard sensor-triggered flood lamps clicked on and off without clear provocation. The copy family would not go away. The father worked himself into a state, shouting curse words, splaying arms. He went out to the car and got a softball bat he'd used for pickup games in college. He'd not once had a hit, though he'd been beaned more times than he could count on all the hands in all the houses on the street where his house stood. He could often still remember how the ball felt each time, banging fast into his muscle, how his chest would scrunch and then expand, how he sometimes seemed not there at all. The father stood at the window with the weapon. He threatened legal action. He spoke an unintended rhyme. He said his own name to the copy father. The copy father seemed to have more hair than him. By the time morning came on gnawing, the father had collapsed. He lay fetal curled on the laminated kitchen floor, his back against the fridge door, shook. The mother stood over the father. The mother took the softball bat away. She smoothed a blanket over her husband. She covered up his head. She turned on the radio in the intercom that had been wired to broadcast through the house. There wasn't music, but people talking, many people all at once. She turned the volume louder. The speech sound filled the house, filled in on the air around their breathing bodies. 
The mother clasped her hands. She went out on the porch and stood among the copy family silent. There she was, smothering the mother's knowledge of. In the copy mother's copy face, the mother saw the way the years had run her down, the slow-stretched lines of older versions sunk to layers, the cheekbones taut and caked with rouge. The mother hulked her copy body off the ground. She carried her copy body in the weird light strumming downward off the shifting sky in sheets. The mother moved through the scrunched grass to the concrete to the swimming pool the house had come with. Her copy body hummed hot and burbled. She held herself the way she'd hold a massive baby. She threw her copy body out into the pocket of caught water, watched her splash down, watched it burp. The copy mother did not struggle. The pool was green with straw and algae and old rain. The mother could not see the bottom. The water stunk. A string of silent glassy bubbles wrung up from the copy mother's copy head. Her body sunk into the muck and did not rise. Along the top, the mother watched a scrim of pollen slosh in waves. The windows of the house next door were all cracked open and opaque. The house next door to that house did not have doors or windows, walls at all. Closer. The mother found the copy father's skin felt rather pleasant, softer than her husband's, responsive to her touch. She spread her fingers in the soft, short hair over his forearm. She whispered in his ear. She said the things she'd meant to say. She closed the copy father's eyes. When the copy father's body hit the water, his shirt and pants soaked darker, several shades. The copy father's skin became distended. The water boiled. The copy father's copy body tried a while to stay floating on the pool's surface in the muck, but the mother pushed it down. She held it under with her foot and then the pool net. She ran a tongue across her teeth. The moon hung over the backyard, had a sliver missing from its center. All the homes held underneath that light. Suddenly, the mother felt a voracious thirst for pork. The copy son, in particular. The mother returned from what she'd done then to stand above the copy of her son. There was very little about his copy body that betrayed any major difference from its other. In fact, if the mother hadn't known for sure already, her true son was upstairs, curled in the new bed the father and the mother had bought him. No more knits yet in the mattress, nothing eating where he slept. If she wasn't sure for sure, the true version of her boy was up there with his sleep eyes spinning in his head, wasn't he? If she hadn't put him there herself, she wasn't sure that she could tell him from this child here. This child with the same scar along his forearm, like the one the son had gotten fallen 
fainting from a tree. He was not supposed to have been walking yet. He'd been bedridden for so long. Trying to reach the sun, he'd explained later. This child here had the same black pockmarks where disease had come into the sun's body, searching his flesh for what it wanted. When the sun had stayed alive, the doctors seemed more nervous than relieved. How peculiar, they kept saying, it's against science. This child here had the same blonde bowl-cut hair like the sun, hair the mother could barely bring herself to snip, each inch of him her precious. Such nights she dreamed of his insides, swimming deep inside his cells. This child, this boy, he was made of her, and she was made of him. No, the mother could not bring herself again to do the thing she'd done twice just now already. No. No. The mother peeped through the window from the outside to make sure her husband was still sleeping. Under the blanket, she watched him wriggle. The father had always been a rowdy sleeper. Most nights, he kept the mother up straight through till morning. The mother slept most during the day, if ever. The sleeping father spoke in languages the mother had not heard. If she'd heard them, she could not remember. The sleeping father chewed the skin inside his mouth to bits. In a hurry, slunk and brooding, knowing what the father, waking, might have to say, the mother fire-lifted her son's copy body on her shoulder and carried him silent through the night. She moved into the thick lip of trees grown up and around the house, into which no fake light showed. She carried the body through the thick murk, keeping careful not to fall. The earth around was eaten up with tunnel. There was wobble. There was grease. There were creatures out here somewhere. She could hear their tiny teeth. There were holes in the soil that led to somewhere. The mother moved by feel. The mother carried her son's copy body through the forest through a tunnel lined with crud. Through the tunnel came a clearing. Said in the clearing there was wire. The wire scorched the mother's hand. Still, she knew what she was seeking. She knew that she would know. When she arrived in or at some small exact place, the mother set the copy son's soft copy body down. In the mud, the light around his copy body began bending, the mother basking briefly in that fold. The sun set underneath her old and getting older, his copy skin turned mirrored bright. The sun's holes among the bending gave off a thick, dark smoke. Smoke rose in bursts toward the sky. It rushed in rising as if to bend that surface also, wanting only soon to disappear there somewhere high above, the tendrils birthed and blown away to unseen, sunken, diffused through holes in holes in holes, rips the sky had hidden in its years on years and days on days. The copy child and mother went on still there beneath it, frying, one breath fed back and forth between. 
They purred secret sentences in silent rising spiral until the sky at last had drunk so much it sunk tonight. The night not out of cycle but in insistence demanded in the skin the unseen smoke of body after body sown surrounding until the mother at least could not see, could not feel the air even around her or her other, could not feel anything at all. And in the dark the mother stuttered, and in the dark again the mother walked. A good day. The next day there was nothing wrong, no one was coughing, there were no bills. The sun rose in the morning and felt warm and not oppressive. The yard looked bright and clean. The mother made the son breakfast and drove him to where he was supposed to be, and she came home alone and felt okay. The father called her twice to ask how she was without any preamble of suspicion. The mother made herself an egg sandwich and found just enough hot sauce in the bottle to make it tasty, eliminating the chance that she might overdo it and make the eggs too saucy and thus inedible, as she had a tendency to do. She solved the newspaper's word puzzle in record time, without even really understanding how she knew the answers. The father's stocks went up enough to alleviate a recent downswing since they'd moved into the house. The father sat in his office with his stock tracker open, watching the numbers replace one another on the screen. At school, the son made a friend, a new girl in town from out of town. The girl resembled the son in many features, skin, lips, cheeks, hair, teeth, build, height, sound. But because she was female, he did not notice. The girl was very rude to teachers, but in a way the son found wise. The girl wore long black gloves. The girl had two different colored eyes, one of which would be looking at the sun, and the other eye of which seemed to toggle. She would not tell the son her proper name. She had a lot of nicknames she liked for him to say aloud. The girl ate with their mouth open and the food all falling out. The son enjoyed the girl. He felt happy to have a friend. When the family got home all at the same time, they gathered around the kitchen table and played Monopoly. They all landed on free parking every other time around. Everyone was able to buy the properties that they needed and the bank ran out of money and the game ended in a tie. Afterward, the son did a stand-up routine he'd written at school from a deep sleep. The parents were impressed by the breadth and maturity of his jokes. They couldn't stop laughing. It made their heads ache. It was all so funny. Even when the son cursed, the parents didn't mind because it added, Our child is... child is... entertaining, one parent told the other, fighting for breathing though later they could not remember which had said and which had heard. For dinner, they ordered pizza, and it arrived a little late, and the pizza guy refused to take their money, though he did accept a small tip, and the pizza was still warm and even more delicious since they'd had that extra time to let their stomachs think. Instead of TV or closing themselves in their individual rooms the way most nights went, 
They sat around the table long after dinner and talked about things that made them glad or things they wanted to become in the future or things about themselves and one another that they liked. They found themselves saying things that they wanted, things they did not know they wanted, the mother candles, the son a black pen, the father a new pair of working gloves, and therefore felt the bloom of some new direction. They went to bed together, all at once, without discussing, and they didn't feel the need to lock their doors. They fell asleep quickly, without thinking, and their dreams were full of bliss or magic, some kind of wondrous unfamiliar, which in the coming days of daylight would itch and itch against their lives. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.